Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. We have breaking news here in Washington. The president has just issued the first veto of his presidency. Here's Joe Biden in a video just posted on Twitter. I just signed this veto because the legislation passed by the Congress would put at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country. They couldn't take into consideration investments that wouldn't be impacted by climate, impacted by overpaying executives, and that's why I decided to veto it. It makes sense to veto it. The White House put the music on that for what it's worth. He's sitting at the Oval Office speaking to the camera there with the tweet, I just vetoed my first bill. What is it? ESG. Anti-ESG. The bill would risk, he writes, your retirement savings by making it illegal to consider risk factors MAGA House Republicans don't like. Your plan manager, he writes, should be able to protect your hard-earned savings, whether Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene likes it or not. Okay. There we are, rejecting legislation that would have, here's how it would work. It would have thwarted a rule allowing retirement portfolio managers to weigh ESG into their investment decisions. This is not where I expected to start with the congressman, but it's a pretty good place to begin here as he does sit on the House Financial Services Committee. That would be Congressman Bill Huizenga, Republican from Michigan, who's been kind enough to drop what he's doing in Orlando at the Republican retreat to join us. Congressman, thanks for being with us. Uh, To what extent, I won't ask you so much about the president deciding to veto this, because that probably shouldn't be a surprise. But to what extent do you factor in ESG as contributing to the stress we're seeing on banks this week? Yeah, that's a good question, Joe. Good to be with you. And in, in, in addition to uh, uh, to my work as chair of the Oversight Investigations and Accountability Subcommittee, I also am heading up a uh, ESG working group. And uh, so we've we've been diving into this a lot. I had spent the last four years as the ranking member, and two years before that as chair of the uh, Capital Markets Subcommittee, where we have oversight of the SEC. And a lot of this has. Been, uh, even though this particular bill was going through the Department of Labor and the rulemaking that they were uh, trying to do there with pensions, um, it's, a, it's, it's the same, same story, just different chapter, uh, as we're seeing uh, with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The, uh, the, the president's got it 180 uh, percent backwards. Uh, people's investment is more at risk when you do this because it ignores materiality. Materiality, materiality, materiality ought to be the watchword, and it's not with this administration. Hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually uh, their, their goal and objective in this is uh, to push a social agenda. And uh, that's, that's, that's the real problem that we're seeing with this. Why shouldn't uh, the manager of a retirement portfolio be able to do whatever they want, though? Well, because it ought to be the fiduciary to get maximum return for their uh, for their clients. And what this is saying, if if it's and what I would say is that if it's material, if you are an energy company, it's very material. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you are making a widget that that does not have that uh, that scope to it, 
Um, why are we going to force them, a la what the Securities and Exchange Commission is trying to do with its climate rule, where you're looking at scope three uh, reporting, uh, which is frankly impossible. So if it's voluntary, that is one thing. Um, if yes, it's right. When the cudgel of government comes in, uh, that turns it into a very different thing. And as long as people have the ability to choose and pick and choose, mm-hmm. uh, that's, uh, that's, that's far better. But uh, it does not seem that that's where the administration wants to go. What, what happened at the retreat in Orlando when this tweet went out? Did everyone's phone explode? <laughs> uh, we, we actually were dealing with, uh, at the time when this was going on, uh, we were dealing with a discussion on uh, on debt and the uh, and, and deficit and what was going to be happening with the debt ceiling. Uh, lots of discussions of how we are moving forward. Um, yesterday, we had a tabletop exercise with a number of the uh, uh, foreign affairs and uh, security folks uh, looking at uh, all with unclassified information. What would what would happen if and when uh, China was to invade Taiwan, for example? So we're having a lot of practical uh, uh, exercises and discussions about where we are going and moving forward as we fulfill our, our agenda and our pledge that we had had uh, with the American people when we came into the majority. If I could bring it back to the uh, the stress on the banking sector here, what what a yeah. week and change it has been. The collapse of SVB and Signature, the rescue, if I can call it that still, of First Republic, and maybe not, the forced sale over the weekend of Credit Suisse. Uh, Leon Cooperman weighs in from Omega Advisors, the legendary uh, investor speaking with Bloomberg today, he says this pain was inevitable, Congressman. Here's how he put it. We have a self-induced crisis by irresponsible fiscal monetary policy the last decade. Um, I did not forecast the Silicon Bank issue, but I did have a view that we were heading to a crisis of some kind, and we've seen it. And uh, we're getting a predictable response by government. Congressman, as chair of the Oversight and Investigation Subcommittee on House Finance, will you lead... Uh, hearings to find out what the heck went wrong, how this actually started and what happened? Uh, Yes. And in fact, on the 29th, our whole committee is uh, going to have uh, the the Fed supervisory uh, bar in. Uh, and uh, and we're also going to have FDIC in. We want to expand that to Treasury, whether it's in that hearing or in, in subsequent hearings. Uh, my subcommittee is working with both the Financial Institutions Subcommittee, that's Andy Barr out of Kentucky. Uh, we're working uh, with uh, Cap Markets and Wagner's uh, committee uh, as we're as we're looking forward. But yes, we are very much dealing with this. And he's right. Uh, the setup when uh, when we are seeing. Uh, a massive, rapid increase in uh, in uh, interest rates like uh, we've never seen before, at least not in the modern history, modern era, um, you're seeing a lot of banks getting caught with this and in this situation. And uh, that, uh, I think, is different from SVB versus Signature and what they were going through. It, it appears that that is a, a very different situation. We're trying to uh, kind of weave through that, uh, that uh, mess as well. And trying to separate out, you know, where are uh, where's the fault of the regulators, uh, whether it be the Fed or maybe the California regulators in SVB's um, uh, circumstance. Uh, where was it uh, malfeasance or, or 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 just simple ignorance out of bank boards that weren't uh, experienced and should have known better? You know, there's reports that uh, SVB had a review by BlackRock who raised. Uh, red flags on this. The Fed, it's been reported now, has ra- had raised flags on this. So uh, what's the responsibility of those that are actually sitting and running the bank uh, having to do to respond to those things? And uh, so there's, there's a lot to unpack in, in various different issues. 
There sure is. As we spend time uh, with Representative Bill Huzenga, who's joining us from the Republican retreat in Florida, uh, a, a new headline that you may have seen, Congressman, that I'm reading here on the Bloomberg Terminal, that Signature Bank threw a fundraiser uh, for, for your chair, Patrick McHenry, uh, just before it crumbled, as they bring us into this boardroom on Fifth Avenue in New York, days before, 10 days to be exact, before the bank collapsed. Uh, I know that Congressman McHenry's uh, campaign decided it will not process the contributions from that event. But knowing that McHenry, who is, again, chairing the Financial Services Committee, uh, has enjoyed quite a bit of love from uh, signature employees, more than one hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars since 2017. Should that kind of fundraiser be happening for someone who is chairing a related committee like that? Well, as you point out, it was before any of this came to light. Uh, Absolutely I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he had no idea uh, because guess what? The folks at the bank had no idea that uh, that this was going to be happening. And and uh, you know we've we've heard some conflicting uh, we've heard some conflicting things uh, regarding federal home loan bank and what the FDIC did stepping in or the Fed. Um, so lots of confusion about that, but we have to be we have to be cognizant of the optics of this. There is absolutely no doubt. But I can tell you this: whether it's for Patrick speaking for him, I'm sure I'm very confident in doing that, or myself or any of my other colleagues on the committee. Uh, if it's a fundraiser or a check that somehow uh, alters what we would do and think is the right thing for the country or for the system, then mm-hmm. we shouldn't have this job. And I can tell you that is not our motivation in this at all. So send the money back. Uh, he'll he'll make that decision, but that makes sense. And, and apparently they did. I do want to be clear about that. They are not yeah, processing okay. those contributions. But the relationship, to your point, the optics are challenging here. Uh, can I ask you about the FDIC before? I'd love to ask you quickly as well about this she trip to Russia. You, you're on too many committees, Congressman. Do you want to see <laughs> FDIC insurance doubled, uh, suspended altogether, unlimited? What's What's the answer to what we've seen the last few days? Yeah, good to be with you, Joe. I hope we can catch up again later in the future. So, no, kidding on that. That is a crucial, crucial question that, frankly, we're wrestling with right now. Do we, is, it, does it, is it appropriate to do a temporary increase? Is it, is it appropriate to do a permanent increase? Mm-hmm. Um, should there be no increase at all and just leave it where it is? I can tell you that there's a lot of people frustrated, feeling like there's a two-tier um, system in place here. Uh, if you're a, a community bank out in the Midwest and, and you're doing your job and uh, you might be even a mid-sized regional or it might be a smaller community bank, mm-hmm. suddenly it feels like the system isn't working for you. It's working for the politically connected, potentially. You want to talk about optics issues. There's a number of optics issues um, uh, that, uh, that are uh, problematic with SVB, for example. Um, so uh, it, it, I'm coming to the conclusion for me personally, and this is not a consensus from the committee yet or certainly from our leadership, uh, I'm coming to the consensus that we may have to look at a temporary increase of that or maybe even fully, uh, uh, fully um, guaranteeing all of those deposits for a temporary basis while we sort mm-hmm. through some of these things so that we can, uh, we can make sure that we're preserving uh, the ability for these banks who have not had any necessarily bad business decision, but it's become a Twitter run. Uh, and I'm not I'm excluding SVB by from that because I think there has been a number of bad business decisions that were uh, and management decisions that were made there. Uh, but we, we've got to make sure that the system settles down and that sound and that people have confidence in it. But we do have to wrestle with and change up these very difficult. 
um, parameters that have been created by massive increases uh, by the Federal Reserve in interest rates that have, have caught a number of people behind the behind the curve. Mm-hmm. I played that uh, remark from Leon Cooperman. He says 25 bips and done this week. Do you think the Fed needs to stop hiking and see what happens? Give it some time. I, well, you know, we had we had uh, uh, Chair Powell in front of our committee last week, and I said to him, I said, you know, I feel badly for you. You're in an impossible situation yep. because to borrow the to borrow the analogy, nobody had the courage to take the punch bowl away at the party, and and you've got a group of people, and I won't mention any particular senators from Massachusetts. Wanting to throw another bottle of 151 rum in the punch bowl and keep the party going, and and it's like, well, wait a minute. You, you know, he's realizing he's had to pull back. Many of us believe that that should have happened a long time ago, and it would have been appropriate to start doing those smaller increases much earlier. Maybe we wouldn't be in that situation, but that's water over the dam. Uh, so the question is: is is are you going to continue to do that tightening that seems proper? And can you do that with making sure that the banking system remains strong and in balance? Um, I suspect it's probably going to be another 25 points uh, versus what it might have been, which was another 50, if not more, uh, if we weren't in this situation. Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Congressman, it's not just financial services taking your attention right now. You're on the Foreign Affairs Committee as well. And I just wonder what you think the U.S., if any, U.S. response should be to this meeting between President Xi and Vladimir Putin. They rolled out literally the red carpet for him today. He's in Moscow for three days. What should we say about it? Yeah, well, Vladimir Putin is uh, clearly and obviously in need of allies and friends. Uh, and uh, He's got a big I, one there. I, I, he does. He has a very big economic uh, friend there. And we need to be watching very closely as to what does this mean from China's uh, perspective and, and what are their actions coming out of that. Yeah, you know, it's very different if they start supplying arms, for example, to Russia. Yeah. Uh, it, it's different if they are propping them up and whether it's through energy or other uh, purchases that might be going on. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see actions speak louder than words, uh, mm-hmm. even diplomatic words. Uh, those are important words, but uh, we'll, we'll see what those actions are. We have to be monitoring that very closely. So wait to see what happens before we speak, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that is the prudent thing to do. I mean, we certainly ought to make sure that China needs to know that this is unacceptable yeah. uh, if they if they do cross uh, some of those lines. But here's our problem uh, with this administration. Um, uh, way too often, uh, not only our uh, our adversaries, but our allies have been yep. confused about where we will go and how strong we will be in that. And that's not good for either. Well, Congressman, we uh, we took quite a trip around the horn there. I thank you for answering questions on so many different topics. Congressman Bill Huzenga with us from the Republican retreat in Orlando. I'll tell you, that punch bowl, I bet it's a pretty big one tonight in Moscow. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We'll assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie are ahead. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the 
Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Well, we covered a lot of ground with the congressman, and that's the world that we're in right now. You're sort of juggling four or five topics, four or five plates spinning in the air at one time. Welcome to Sound On, the fastest show in politics as we assemble our panel with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, bringing us back to where we started. We just covered so much in 20 minutes. I want to remind you that the president, Joe Biden, has just issued the first veto of his presidency. I just signed this veto because the legislation passed by the Congress would put at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country. Now, not everyone's going to agree with the way that's framed there uh, from the president, but indeed, he just vetoed uh, legislation that would kill a rule allowing retirement portfolio managers uh, to weigh ESG into their investment decisions. Jeannie Shanzano, we've talked a lot about ESG, and it's been part of the conversation with this whole banking crisis, the stress on banks, the decisions that were made. And I guess the president has just made a pretty clear stand on this. This is something that Republicans uh, were hoping uh, to make a little bit of a splash with. Was this worth his first veto? Yeah, first of all, it's stunning that his first veto is on ESG, something which most Americans probably had no idea what it was, say, six <laughs> months ago or a year ago. They you know, know, you'd think it was going to be something that we'd all heard about. People talked about maybe an abortion bill or something mm-hmm. along those lines. And here we have ESG. So it's, you know, a bit surprising from that perspective. But he telegraphed that this was coming. We knew it was. And I think the president is betting that he is on the right side of this issue. And it's something that you raised with the congressman, which is this idea that portfolio managers should be able to take into account whatever they want when they're making these decisions. And now, once again, you have Republicans on a very strange side. If you look back at traditional Republicanism, now they are trying to have the government step in and say what they can and can't take into account when they make these decisions. So, you know, I think Biden feels like he's on the right side of this. He's sort of shoring up what has been the traditional view on Wall Street, and he's betting that he will get some play out of that and hence his first veto. Good politics here. Rick, what do you make of the decision? You know, I mean, this is the ground that the Republicans have chosen to fight on. I think it's tenuous ground. I'd I'd rather have them talking about issues that really affect people's pocketbook right now, especially in the light of the banking crisis that we're in. And so to make this uh, their first bill that they would send to the president for veto, I thought was shooting in the wrong direction. But uh, at the end of the day, just like Jeannie said, uh, the Democrats are going to be very happy to debate this. This is at the center of their view as to how to create a more efficient carbon economy. And they'll, they'll love it every day that they can veto bills like this. Coming off the weekend, uh, Rick, I, I don't know if your phone was blowing up. Of course, people who listen to this broadcast and see you on Balance of Power know that you're a partner at Stone Court Capital. Uh, are we feeling more confident or less confident than we were at the end of last week? I think that the fact that that we haven't gotten a resolution to contagion and whether or not there mm-hmm. is uh, other institutions both here and abroad, uh, I think we wake up uh, over the weekend with – uh, uh, some sense of stability around the transaction between UBS and Credit Suisse, but yeah. with more warnings that there are other problems in Europe that could present themselves. So I, I certainly think from the industry point of view that I've been learning from talking to bankers and others that people are sort of treading on uh, eggshells right now just in hopes that this this remedial effort by the regulators has will result in some stability. Boy. 
I don't know, Jeannie. I mean, you heard me ask the congressman about FDIC insurance. Shouldn't we be handling these like now? What's everybody waiting for? We're going to have a big debate for a couple of months where we watch other banks collapse. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you'd hope that Congress, the, the government, would step in and address this now. I, I agree with Rick. I think there were some signs that, you know, things are stable, but I think a lot of it is going to hinge on what Powell decides to do in the next 48 hours. Um, because, of course, I think either way, it is going to be a sign. If he doesn't raise interest rates, I think it's going to be a sign that they really feel, at least people will take it as a sign, that they really feel there's instability out there. And so it's taking a, you know, inflation is taking a back seat. Mm-hmm. And you can look at it the other way. So I think a lot of that is going to depend on what they do. I have to say, I was uh, pretty stunned, but I think it's important to underscore Bernie Sanders saying that SVB CEO is on the regional Fed board. Um, that is something that, like the FDIC issue, Congress should address ASAP. There's no reason that they shouldn't end this conflict of interest of this kind if that's what we're seeing is creating this instability in these banks. So there are steps Congress can take, but the longer this goes on, the more people are going to feel like they can't turn to Congress to take action. There's so much I want to ask you about. I don't want to run out of time here. And of course, I've got an eye on what's happening uh, today in Moscow. Enter President Xi. Start of a three-day visit, the full treatment at the airport. Vladimir Putin saying that Russia is now ready to discuss China's initiative for ending the conflict in Ukraine. As part of this three-day visit, he will talk about China's blueprint for Ukraine, remembering that they offered some sort of idea to broker peace, but wouldn't play very well if you happen to be Ukraine. Uh, Rick, we talked about this in advance of the visit. I'm sure the administration, and by that I also mean the Pentagon, is watching this very closely. What do they do about it? Yeah, first of all, I think that's the key, right? This is being watched not just by our Pentagon and in, in, in the White House, but uh, uh, all defense departments and, and, and democracies around the world, because this represents the other group, the, the, the contrast to freedom, democracy, uh, rule of law. Uh, and, and this is the building of the coalition for the future attack against those, those uh, you know, Western uh, forms of government. So this is a big deal. And so, yes, watching it closely. And I think we will be not hearing a lot of rhetoric coming out of the West uh, in regards to this until it's over after Tuesday, because I, I think they, they, they want to see in a vacuum whether these guys can actually pull off uh, some kind of detente between themselves where they come out with something that is uh, remotely their version of a peace plan. Because right now, I, I don't think anybody takes seriously the Chinese peace plan. And of course, you know, not helped by uh, Vladimir Putin taking a victory lap in Mariupol uh, right before uh, Xi shows up. So it just makes the whole thing kind of hard to, to sell if, if you're on their side. And so let's let the Western governments force them to sell it and see what they can get. Jeannie, is anything short of a weapons deal problematic for the U.S.? Of course, they're going to talk about this crazy peace deal, but that's not going anywhere. We know that. That's right. And and I think the big question now is what is the product at the end of this? Obviously, if it's lethal weapons, that is something that we know we'll have to confront, the West will have to confront. But there's other things that we should be watching out for. We see now a new China. China is no longer just an economic threat. It is now a political threat. It is making itself a negotiator in world politics. Look at the axis with Iran, Saudi Arabia, Russia, China. Um, You know, we've seen that in the last few weeks as China brokered 
covered that piece. We've seen them active not only in the Middle East, but in Ukraine now this week, Africa before that. So this is a new sort of axis of autocrats, if you will, that the West has to confront. And that's why this meeting between these two is so important to watch. And what comes out of it is anybody's guess right now. I doubt it will be lethal weapons, but if it is, that is something that the U.S. is going to have to address with its NATO partners. She says he's confident Putin will win the support of his people in next year's presidential elections. It's headlines like this I'm showing up for, Rick. Yeah, exactly. Russia's been Thanks for holding, the news flash. Yeah, Russia's been holding sham elections for a long time. Why not hold another one? Right. Uh, we've got to talk about Donald Trump here, and I'm going to allow a little bit of time for this. I just, you know, we've heard from Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Now, Donald Trump said over the weekend he expects to be arrested on Tuesday. He's asking people to protest. Uh, This is the Stormy Daniels case. Ron DeSantis, knowing that uh, the former president lives in Florida, was asked repeatedly, are you going to stop this? Are you going to do something about it? Listen to the way DeSantis has chosen to handle this. Clearly put some time into it. I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that if you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction, and he chooses to go back many, many years ago uh, to try to use something about porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda. All right. So, yeah, I mean, he really clearly sat down and thought, knowing he'd be asked, oh, and by the way, he's not going to be getting involved. This is not his bag. But to roll out the lines on payments to a porn star, all part of the narrative today from the governor of Florida, because we're all rolling here in this. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. This is going to be a heck of a race if they do, in fact, run against each other. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The buffet of political news today. I mean, we could start almost anywhere as we prepare to bring in Mick Mulvaney. I'm in Washington, of course, with Kaylee Lyons, who's been at work since yesterday, I believe. The special was actually incredible last evening. I learned a lot uh, about this uh, UBS Credit Suisse situation. It did not seem to help to calm anyone down, though. In the conversations we've had over the last hour, the concern, the lack of confidence, the concern that another peace may fall seems to be just as intense as it was on Friday, Kaylee. Yeah, and First Republic front and center to that. Remember last week at the tail end of the we week, we got the news of a of an attempted, I would say attempted Fair rescue, enough. $30 billion in deposits coming from 11 larger banks that did very little to stem the bleeding in the equity market. The stock was down 33% in the Friday session. Yeah. Once again, looking at losses today after the second ratings downgrade 
in just about a week, basically S&P Global Ratings saying that $30 billion, that's a short-term solution. That is not a long-term solution to this bank's funding challenges. They think it's going to be really hard to keep attracting deposits. It does seem like we're getting closer to an answer on FDIC insurance. I mean, what's your gut on that? They're just going to have to insure everything for a period of time. It's a question of how long that is, right? Right. And it depends on who you ask. I mean, you had the Mid-Size Bank Association basically writing a letter to the FDIC over the weekend saying, what has happened now is that there is only confidence in the largest banks. And in order to restore confidence in the entire banking system, they've requested you insure all deposits, no matter the size, for the next two years. Is that solution the right one? I don't know, but it's definitely a conversation that's being had. Can Ted Lasso fix all of this? Does he, <laughs> that, do, should we tell him? You know, he's, he's at the White House today. I say he, the whole cast is. Yeah, and a great cast it is. I I think this is probably a problem that Ted Lasso can't, can't fix, but really? the list of those things, problems Ted Lasso can't fix, is probably a pretty short one because that show <laughs> wow. can turn right. around any bad day I'm having personally. I'm just well, let's walk in here. Uh, this is the White House briefing room. They don't even know we're listening in, <laughs> but it's mostly full. And I understand you know, he's the the cast is they're floating around the White House today. They're going to actually have yeah. a public event. Talking about mental health. Will right? they come into the briefing here? Uh, Mick Mulvaney, uh, of course, spent quite a bit of time at the White House as acting uh, White House chief of staff following uh, his time as a congressman and uh, OMB director. And he's with us right now. Uh, Mick, what goes into a decision like this to have, you know, a TV personality or to have a celeb join the press secretary at the podium? What, what's about to happen here? Well, it's a circus, but it's a great kind of circus. We'd love to have those kind of days because um, we, we tended to get a lot more softball questions when we brought in there you you know, go. somebody somebody famous. So uh, no one wants to talk about a banking crisis with Ted Lasso in the building. That would be bad Isn't that the truth? And if they do, he'll, he'll calm them all down somehow. Uh, Mick, I'm here with Kaylee, and we're trying to figure out. I'm going to ask you about a hundred different things here because that's just the kind of news day uh, that it is. And if we if we have a, a Ted Lasso sighting, we'll let you know. Uh, the the wranglings over the weekend, a second weekend of of bank wrangling, in this case, two Swiss banks involved, did not seem to really stop the fear of contagion, even though we haven't really seen evidence of it. This is an administration that's dealing with a real balancing act when it comes to confidence. Is there anything else that Joe Biden or, or elements of the administration can do now? You know, Joe, I, I don't have any insight into the into the banking industry any, any more than anybody else does. In fact, you probably have a hundred people on the show that know more about that than I do. But I know a little. You know bit about, about crisis communications, though. Yeah, I know a little bit about Washington, and what I'm looking for is what the Fed does on Wednesday. Um, yeah. I, I don't suppose anybody's talking about a fifty basis point increase. But if that were to happen, for sake of this discussion, what that, that message is that the banking system is entirely sound. Okay, If it's 25 basis points, what that means is, well, we think it's probably contained, but we're really still concerned about inflation. What really concerns me would be a zero point increase uh, on Wednesday. Because what that means is that even though I don't see where it is, and you might not see where it is, it means somebody has seen something that scares them to death. Um, and that's really what I'm looking for on Wednesday is where is it where, between zero and 25? I'm hoping it's 25 because zero would be a giant red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure the markets would take it that way. It raises the question of just communication around this banking, I'm going to say turmoil because crisis sounds like it may be a slightly charged word. At least that's not one that maybe the Fed or the Biden administration would want associated with what is going on. They have tried to project 
a message of calm here. They keep reiterating the financial system is sound, banks are stable. Do you think their communication is working? Well, it, it's it's not uh, it's not outweighing what everybody. There's talk, and then there's action, right? And what's happening is that they're trying to cover up action, or in this case, inaction, with talk. And what I mean by the, is this: is that they can say all the things they want to try and calm the markets. They can project all of this confidence, etc. But what folks are actually looking at is what happened, which is okay. There was a fairly substantial sized bank that had a duration risk on the books that was stunningly sort of just there and large and should have never been missed by a regulator, right? So if the FDIC, the Fed, and the OCC all missed this at, at, at this bank, what else might they have missed at other places that we can't see? So that's, that's why I think you're not seeing this language calm things down. As to the – and we've had this discussion, Joe, I think last week about, uh, about the short-term increase in the, uh, in the insurance rates, the FDIC yes, right. insurance. Mm-hmm. That, that that would be an action, but it also has a, an unintended consequence of possibly driving more bank consolidation, which would create more turmoil in the market. So look, they've got themselves in a pickle at the Fed, at the FDIC, at the OCC because of what they did. And I don't think saying stuff by itself is going to fix it. How much time is there to, to, to take action, though, Mick? I mean, could, do we go through another week and another crazy weekend, another attempted rescue of First Republic or another sale here? Before we actually have lawmakers say, you know what, we put we put something together here that that might be an answer to this, or or we have in fact gotten to the bottom of what happened. How many more weeks can we endure? Uh, well, the disappointing answer there is that generally, now there's always important exceptions, but generally speaking, um, Washington is reactive and not proactive, and it doesn't fix things until after they are broken. I can't yeah. think of a. I've been in D.C. about ten years now. I can't think of any time that we actually took strong proactive steps to prevent stuff. We, we, we always are behind the, the curve a little bit. So uh, I don't see in this environment in Washington, D.C., with the politicization being what it is, with discussions about arresting a former president and that getting a lot of attention, a mm-hmm. bipartisan sort of um, kumbaya on how do we fix something that the regulators may have broken. Well, you mentioned a potential arrest of a former president, not just any former president, your former boss, Mr. Mulvaney. What do you have to say about what Trump said over the weekend that he thinks he's getting arrested on Tuesday? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody thinks he's getting arrested on Tuesday. I, I actually was reading about this over the weekend, and somebody asked the right question, which is, has anybody talked to the Secret Service yet? You don't just mm. walk in and arrest a former president. Right. Well, um, it's never been done before, right? <laughs> yeah, well, he does. But he tend to be surrounded by guys with guns. So um, yeah. that would be a situation where if it were going to happen, it would be telegraphed uh, well in advance. I think probably someone told Donald Trump there was a chance he might be arrested on Tuesday, and he ran with it. I thought his tweets over the weekend were, were irresponsible. He could have easily said peaceful protest. We would be having this conversation. But I don't think there's a likelihood of him being arrested this week. Is it possible in the future? Huh. Probably. Um, are the charges bizarre? Yes, they are. But I don't think this is going to come to a head this week, thankfully, because we have other things to worry about. Yeah, we're going to talk to Michael Zeldin about this uh, in advance, or, or coming up next, I should say, Mike. But in advance of anything happening, this is this is a massive fundraiser for Donald Trump, right? And he's actually asking people to protest. Uh, what's that going to look like if this transpires? Yeah, it's actually a fundraising opportunity for both of them. I'm on an email list from both Democrats and Republicans, and everybody was raising money off this over the weekend <laughs> to show you the sad state of affairs. Um, but really interesting, <laughs> I have to, you know, it's sort of a a former, you know, chief of staff who's now become sort of a critic of the former president. So I'm neither, you know, here nor there. Yeah. It'd be fascinating if he called for a protest and nobody showed up. 
Um, I think that would send a, a very strong message over how sure. strong his control is over the party. There's a, a saying in politics that, you know, a, a leader with no followers is just a guy taking a walk. So um, I, I'm, the response that I've seen online has been much more tepid than I think people realize. Even folks who might have otherwise sort of come to his, you know, the patriot moat around Mar-a-Lago may have learned their lesson on January 6th, which is that you may end up going to jail uh, and the president's not going not gonna to protect you. But we already saw over the weekend that other Republicans in Congress kind of rallied around him. What do you think? How do you think the rest of the party is viewing this, let alone the base? Well, I think that looking at in many ways the same way I am, which is as you know, critical as I've been of the president, many of us have been. This is really bizarre. This action by the Manhattan D.A. to, to, to charge the president criminally on a misdemeanor tax charge possibly coupled with a campaign finance that really isn't against the law or at least isn't in statute. No one's ever been convicted of this particular um, uh, uh, witch's brew of crimes before. So it's a, it, it is easy to make the case that this is a political targeting of Donald Trump. And I think that's what you're seeing from Republicans, even those who've been critical of the president, like I have, saying this is probably wrong. This is a, this is a stretch. It's almost as if the DA was looking for an excuse to charge the president with, that, with something and made up something that was tenuous at best. I still get a kick out of the fact that nobody cares about the, a former president or back when he was president, uh, leader of the free world, having an affair with a porn star. We're totally fine with that. But what comes after is crazy. And, and you know, the, the idea as well about an extradition, you've heard about this, I'm sure, Mick, that this could come down to Ron DeSantis if, the, yeah. if, if, if Donald Trump refuses to go to New York. What does the governor of Florida do in that case? Yeah, I think there was a there was a, the only thing that's close to this, by the way, if you remember John Edwards, the senator from North Carolina, where I used to, where I, I grew up and was a vice presidential candidate with John Kerry, got yeah. charged with some of almost the same thing and walked because no one could figure out if it was really a crime. So he didn't go to jail. There's a, a famous quotation by one of the lawyers saying it's not against the law to be a pig. Um, you know, and um, hush money payments are not against the law. So you may not like it, but it's not the type of thing we throw people in jail for. Uh, that's a pretty good answer. Uh, Ron DeSantis, though, is in some political risk over this. How does he manage this to his benefit, Mick? You know, I think Ron has done a nice job of just staying above the fray at this point. In fact, I think he's the only, you know, potential uh, Democrat, uh, excuse me, Republican uh, uh, primary candidate who hasn't really taken a public position on this yet. I think that's the right thing for him to do. Um, it's it's a tough job. There's no question. I'm sure he, he hopes that the president actually gets arrested in another state and not Florida. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a strange political day when the former president might get elected in a state um, that's governed by a guy who might run against him in the next primary. I'm pretty sure we haven't had that particular combination of uh, fun stuff to talk about on the radio in a long time. Well, of course, there's the primary race for the Republican nomination. There's also the man ultimately that they would end up running against in theory. We all are anticipating that President Biden is going to run again. Still hasn't announced. The longer he waits, does that help the Republican Party or or hurt them because it gives a chance for even more entrants to enter the field and there be infighting? No, because the Republicans, it gives the Democrats more trouble than anything else because the Republican mm. problem is Trump, right? Because Trump is probably going to win the Republican primary. I mean, there, I haven't seen a scenario yet that really convinces me that he doesn't win the Republican primary because he's going to get his 35 or 40 percent. And since the plurality is enough to win in a multi-person race, and he's got a chance to he's probably going to be the Republican nominee. So that, that sort of cast, unless something dramatic changes. No, the Democrats, I think, are the ones who are 
ones who are suffering here because um, if you're the next generation of leaders, you should be out there, you know, raising money, raising your your profile and so forth. And they can't do that because they don't want to be perceived as the folks that push, you know, old Uncle Joe out of office. So, no, I, I think the Democrats are trying to figure out where it is in the pendulum right now. You know, right now he's going to run for re-election. It could change in two weeks. Um, but I think they're scratching their heads right now over this even more than Republicans are. Mick, great talk. Thanks, as always, for the insights. We do this every Monday with Mick Mulvaney, former acting White House chief of staff. I, his business card is endless. Former OMB director, former congressman. <laughs> I'll stop there for now. Uh, and he says it's not even going to happen this week, most likely. Well, that it runs against what the president, yeah. former president himself has said. And, of course, we're all going to be on watch for it just because – President, former President Trump put that out there into the universe. But I think the Secret Service point is a good one. I mean, this sure. has never been done before. There is no precedent for this. This is a man surrounded, as Mr. Mulvaney said, by security at all times. So literally just the optics of it, like what kind of image would we oh get if God. indeed it did right. happen? Is there going to be a perp walk? Do yeah. They fingerprint? When does he get a backdoor uh, entrance? Nobody even sees him coming or going. All of that stuff has yet to be determined. We're going to talk with Michael Zeldin about that. By the way, uh, they have arrived. White House briefing room here. The entire oh cast Hello. of Ted Lasso standing Hello. behind Kareem Jean-Pierre. I wonder Jean-Pierre. why so many people are here today. Yeah, it's a full room. <laughs> yeah, right. How about right. this, by the way? Uh, Jason Sudeikis, uh, sweater, no tie. Oh. Is that appropriate? Okay. Is there a mustache? Uh, we do well. No, we yeah, mustache and beard okay. actually so kind of light he's on both. In character, a little bit. That's very yeah, very much so. I don't yeah, no <laughs> neckties. All right, Kaylee Lyons, Joe Matthew, on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Sound On podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Bloomberg.com. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.